Hey y'all, it's Barb. It's Shay. We're here to talk about a murder that's gonna knock you off your feet. So giddy up y'all, this is gonna be a wild one. Hey y'all, welcome back to yet another episode. How are you doing Barb? I am doing good. I am so excited for this episode. Oh my gosh, when I tell you this episode was rough, it was rough. I believe you. Looking at all of your um, notes that you have made that you're going to be going off of, I just, this is a lot of information you're going to have to remember and cover. I know. If you see, like, if you if you guys were able to see, like, what the notes look like, they're literally highlighted. I had to highlight each of the names to make sure that I, I covered everyone. So that's how, how much is on this one. <clears throat> so... Today's episode is not a normal one. Today we will be doing the voters episode. So today we'll be talking about the person who won the most votes. So I'm super excited about this one. And it's like I said, it's going to be a rough one. But I'm going to go ahead and jump right into this one. Like, because it's a lot longer. So, well, sit back and relax and get ready for a dark story about a killer who is known for doing something that not many other killers would do. This killer was unique, was a unique type of serial killer. Today we'll be talking about, Jeffrey Dahmer. So as a lot of people know, he was also known as the Milwaukee cannibal. Um, so yeah, this one's super dark. So trigger warning, trigger warning. And I'll try to say it before something comes up, but yeah, so. I know that he's talked about a lot and I know that he like a lot of people go over him, but um, I think it's important to keep the names of the victims alive, you know? Um, so yeah, this one's super interesting and the way that his brain works is like super, super weird. And um, it really sucks that we can't learn from him and learn from like how his brain works and like what were his thoughts because he is, dead so and i'll go into that towards the end but let's go ahead and get started i got my information from biographics.org murderpedia.org and wikipedia.org and like i said trigger warning there are children in this one there is dismemberment there's sexual um acts in this one so if you're not comfortable with any of those things please feel free to skip this one because it is full of it. So trigger warning, trigger warning. So before I go into Jeffrey's past, I do want to take a moment and read you all the list of names and ages of the victims. So we're going to start with Stephen Hicks, who was 19. Stephen Twomey. Okay, if I butchered these, I'm sorry, guys. Y'all just going to have to look it up. But Stephen Twomey. His, who is 26, Joseph Bradhoft, who is 25, Jamie Doaxter, who is 14, Richard Guerrero, 23, Raymond Smith, 33, Anthony Hughes, 31, Oliver Lacey, 23, Errol Lindsay, who was 19, Ernest Miller was 22, Anthony Sears was 26, Edward Smith was 27, Curtis Strader was 19, David Thomas was 23, Matt Turner was 20, Jeremy Weinberger was 23, and this one, this, the last name on this one is really hard, so bear with me, but it's, the last victim was Coneric Synthesomphone, which is how they pronounce it on Google, um, but he was 14. All of these names are the deaths that he has been charged with. There are many other victims that the police think that he killed, but have yet to be able to charge him with obviously because it's really hard whenever they're dead to charge them with something. But there are two other victims that actually survived the attacks of Jeffrey. One was Kiso, Kison Synthesomphone, who was 13, and Tracy Edwards, who was 32. I wanted to kind of go into everyone's names and just, because I, I wanted to make it important for them to be known about in this episode. So let's get into Jeffrey's past. Jeffrey was born May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
both of his parents loved and adored him. So he didn't have like a super traumatizing like childhood. So which is really odd. But in their eyes, he was this perfect child and nothing was wrong with him. But to others on the outside, they didn't think the same, such as his teachers, for example. They thought that he maybe for, like, was forgot about at home and he wasn't shown much attention, which it kind of was happening um, because his father was a, he was going to school to be a chemist and his mother was actually sick for almost his whole childhood. So she was constantly like ill and bedridden whenever he was younger because she was always sick. So, I mean, to me, I feel like even if they were busy, they weren't like beating him and abusing him and like calling him names like a lot of the other serial killers. So it's really odd that just because he wasn't given like full attention that he just, I don't, I don't, I think this one wasn't, I think this one was like more of a brain thing instead of nurturing. Like we always talk about. Yeah, um, I was gonna say that. Like, it's the it's like the nurturing versus like your brain, how your just brain works. Like when we had that conversation, where it's like, are you born a killer or were you trained to be a killer? For most part, we've seen that it's like you were trained by the way you were raised, unfortunately. But this does not seem like that. Yeah, and I mean, like, I get that that they were like super busy or whatever, but they just weren't abusing him. And I, I know some people work in different ways. So maybe this did affect him in some way. And maybe it's not like, it's more than what we know was happening, but they really loved him and life just got in the way. And I guess that affected him and he would end up finding out that he was going to be having a baby brother and his parents even let him pick the name of his brother. So like, it wasn't like they were trying to leave him out. They just got busy and he ended up actually naming him David just for a little fact there. Um, but growing up, Jeffrey was really, really into bones. And I know a lot of people probably remember this from the movie, which I've seen multiple times, but he was like super interested in how they worked, how they fit together, how they like moved and like a little puzzle. He was super interested into it, which is fine. That's fine to have interest. But this started at a young age of four. So Jeffrey would walk around the woods and look in ditches and he would look under trees and on the side of the road just to see if he could find dead animals. Cause then he would take the dead animal, he would clean them up and then he would keep the bones. He would either keep them in the yard or he would store them in the, this like little shed that they had in their backyard. Um, but yeah, so he would keep them all there. And as he got older, his urges started turning more sinister. So as he got older, he started learning about more things, learning about like more physical things also. Um, so at the age of just 16, he saw a jogger run by and said that he really wanted to rape this jogger. Like he had just had this huge urge to just attack this person and rape them. And, and this is at 16 years old, but he decided to try one day to hide in the bushes and wait for the man to run by. And then he was going to jump out of the bushes and attack him and rape him or whatever. But on this particular day, the jogger didn't come by. So it just because apparently the jogger would run by every single day. And on this particular day, he didn't, which is super weird that this person just like, oh, I'm not going to run today. But after this, Jeffrey didn't attempt to attack him again. But Jeffrey had started to drink. He was drinking. I, I believe it said he started drinking when he was 13 because he was trying to get the evil thoughts out of his head. And he was trying to stop the thinking of wanting to kill something and like rape it and all this stuff. So he had, men he was mentally struggling. So the drinking wasn't enough for him. And he wasn't a perfect student in school. He stayed to himself. He would sneak in alcohol into the school and his jacket. And it got really bad when Jeffrey's parents were struggling in the year of 1977. And then the very next year they would end up getting a divorce and right after his father moved out is when Jeffrey would commit his first murder. So 
this is whenever we're going to start going into the murders. So trigger warning, this one's going to be rough. So let's talk about the first murder. This was the murder of Stephen Hicks. This happened in 1978. At this time, he was living alone. So he had free reign because his dad had just gotten with another woman and he was with her. And I don't know what happened to the mom. I don't know if she had just passed away or what happened. Um, but he was basically at home by himself. So on June 18th, Jeffrey would pick up Stephen and he would then lead Stephen to his house. He told him, oh, we'll just go back to the house, have a drink and hang out like we're just buds or whatever. Like he just thought it was something chill. And, you know, this is 78. So, of course, everybody's just chilling together. But after a few hours of hanging out, Stephen was ready to leave. He had already had a long night because he was he actually got picked up like so after or before he got picked up, he had just left a rock concert. So Jeffrey had picked him up right after he had gotten from this concert. So, you know, he was already tired. But whenever he wanted to leave, Jeffrey was not okay with that. So he would end up grabbing a 10 pound dumbbell and would hit Stephen in the back of the head twice. Once Stephen was knocked out, Jeffrey would take the dumbbell and strangle Stephen with it. So he would take the bar part and push it on his throat. And he would then take off Stephen's clothes and he would masturbate while standing over his body. The next day, he would dissect Stephen's body and bury him in the backyard. Then a few weeks later, he unburied his body and dissolved his flesh in acid and flushed the liquid down the toilet and smash his bones with sledgehammer and then would spread them around in the woods what the yeah and this was his very first kill yeah why would you even attempt to bury him in the first place like if you're just gonna dig him back up and like do all this to this poor man's body like i don't understand i guess because after a while he was like oh wait maybe i shouldn't leave him back there because then it's gonna like animals are gonna get to it or whatever but this was his first kill and I, I don't know what was going through his head, but he's also, like, just out of high school, I believe, on this one. So, He definitely know. seems like he knows what he's doing. That's what, Yeah, it's crazy how, like, he how much detail he starts to get into after a while. And I'll mention this later, but it's almost like he's using these victims as science experiments. And you'll kind of see, like, going through this whole thing, you'll kind of see what I'm saying. But... Jeffrey would move around and get arrested a couple of times between this murder and the others, but I'm not really going to go into that because he was arrested a few times. He went to college and did some other things, but I'm, I wanted to focus on the victims on this one. So the next kill would be November 20th, 1987. So this was almost 10 years later. So there was 10 years in between his second, his first and second kill, but Jeffrey was at a bar when he met Stephen that. I'm so bad at saying names, but I'm going to mention, I'm going to call him Stephen T since there's two Stevens. So they would talk and Stephen T would be lured, lured to the ambassador hotel. There is no story on what happened when they got back to Jeffrey's room because he has no idea what happened. But he mentions that, or Jeffrey mentions that he wasn't thinking about killing him. Like, he just wanted to have a good night. But he said that he just drugged him and maybe slept with him, but he doesn't remember. But when he woke up and he found Stephen T. dead on the floor, his chest was crushed inside of his body and and he was black and blue. And Jeffrey also noticed that Stephen, or no, sorry, that his arms and fists were bruised pretty badly so it's almost like he just sat there and like punched his body or punched his chest until it caved in but he says like he's like oh no I don't remember any of this like I guess because he was on drugs as well but yeah so he would later grab Steven's body and shove him into the suitcase and take it to his grandmother's house which is where he was staying at the time because he had rented this hotel room. And at her home, he would cut up Stephen T's body into pieces. He would crush his bones and get rid of everything except for Stephen T's head. He would try to keep his head and bleach it and try to get all the skin off and 
use his head to help him stimulate his masturbation. But the head was too brittle, so he had to pulverize and dispose of it because it wasn't working for what he wanted it to work for. Isn't that insane on your second one and oh, one that you supposedly didn't remember? Yeah, that's crazy. I like the intensity of the murder. But not only that, but I mean, it just baffles me that you the hotel has to see them two walking in together on like security footage but you're telling me that you can't connect the dots and say okay it's this man who went into the room and then he was never seen alive again and never seen walking back out of the room exactly unless it was kind of like a sketchy a sketchier hotel and this is 1987 so i don't know how common cameras were but then people still saw them go in together yeah so i don't know maybe it's just this type of hotel where people are usually going in and out kind of thing that's freaking crazy because in 87 also you know the lg lgbtq community was not accepted so this was probably like a hush hush hotel like whatever happened at the hotel stayed there i'm assuming um but yeah so i want to continue because this one this is uh, it's only going to get worse from here so after this murder, Jeffrey started making it a hobby. He would constantly be on the lookout for new victims. He would find them at or around gay bars, and he would lure them to his grandmother's home. His M.O. was drugging them after and before sexual activity, and they were unconscious, unconscious from the pills, and he would strangle them. But I just want to, because that's going to be repeated multiple times throughout this thing, um, but little bits and pieces will change here and there. So... But let's go ahead and continue to victim number three. So next, Jeffrey would meet James or Jamie Doxtator. And he would offer him $50 to pose nude for him at his house. So when they got there, Jeffrey would again drug James after the sexual activities and would ultimately strangle Jamie or James and drug him. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Not, he already drugged him, sorry. Um, but he would leave James' body in the cellar for a week. So he would just, like, take him down to the cellar and leave him there. And he would do the same thing that he did to Stephen T.'s body to James, to James's body. So he even did the same thing to his head, and again, it was too brittle, and he would get rid of the skull. Of the skull. So... That one and Stephen T's was pretty much the same other than this James one was planned. Next was March 24th, 1998. Jeffrey would meet Richard Guerrero at a bar called The Phoenix. Jeffrey would offer him $50 to just spend the rest of the night with him. He would proceed to drug him and after killing him, he would perform oral sex on Richard's dead body. So now he's escalated a little further. Now he's having sex with the bodies after they're already dead. So he would also have his body dismembered within 24 hours. So he's getting quicker at that instead of holding it for a week. And he would get the skull for a few months and then do the same thing like he did with the past because it would start getting too brittle. So then he would get rid of it. Then that's, I believe that's victim number four. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. So then on April 20th, Third of the same year, he attempted to bring Keeson Sithisimphone, who was 13, 13 years old. He would attempt to bring him home and do the same thing. But his grandma found out that he had someone else there and he would drug this Keeson and would end up taking him to the hospital instead of killing him. Well, later that same year in September, his grandmother told him he needed to move out because he kept bringing young men to the house too late. And there was a bad smell coming from the basement and the garage. And to her, she like it might have seemed like he just wasn't cleaning up after himself and he was just a pig. And I don't know how old she was or if this, I don't know what she was thinking, what the smell was coming from, but... I'm sure she wasn't thinking, oh, my grandson is killing and dismembering young men. So he would end up moving to his own apartment in September, on September 25th. 
And then the following day, he was arrested for sexually assaulting Kison. And he would be evaluated by a psychiatrist multiple times. And he was told that he was, so they told him that he was feeling alienated and he was impulsive and suspicious of others. And he was upset that he wasn't successful. And he was told that he was suffering from schizoid personality disorder. So I, this is for 1988, 1987 area. So, I mean, this kind of makes sense. But after the, after all of this on January or in January, 1989, he was convicted of second degree sexual assault, but that would later get suspended until May, 1989. Well, in the middle of all of this, he would move back to his grandmother's and he would also kill his fifth victim on March 25th, 1989. This victim's name was Anthony Sears. They would meet at a bar and Jeffrey said he was not out, like he wasn't going out to find anyone, but him and Jeffrey just, or Jeffrey and Anthony just started talking. So Jeffrey would end up inviting him back to his grandmother's house where the same scene would play out. He would drug him and then he would strangle him he would take the body and the very next morning he would place it into the bathtub where he would remove the head before cutting up the body. This was the first victim that he actually liked. So like he was super attracted to him. So he would preserve Anthony's head and genitals. He would put the head and genitals or the genitals into a jar and he would clean the head off and he would take those jars and put them in a box to keep them at work with him in his locker what uh so this was between him getting convicted like to in his suspension area so i don't know if they were just like i don't know that's insane to to find out that he had just casually brought that into work and just had it sitting there and nobody even knew yeah that's that crazy makes, i know that makes you wonder like do you even know your co-workers Literally, I know, oh my gosh, I could not imagine. But after his conviction was put on hold, so we're going back to the conviction. Um, after it was put on hold, he was eventually only given a five-year probation sentence and one year in jail and would have to register as a sex offender for raping a 13-year-old, mind you, mm-hmm. and drugging him also. Um, but when he got out, he would go back to his grandmother's until May of 1990. This is when he would move to his own apartment that was only $300 a month. Could you imagine paying $300 a month for an apartment? No, I'd be living in a box. For real. (laughs) Sorry. And this apartment would end up being close to his job and it was furnished. So he had all the furniture he needed in there, which to him, he probably didn't even need any. But when he moved there, he felt comfortable enough to go ahead and bring Anthony's head and genitalia back home from his work. So, yeah, the conviction sure taught him a lesson, didn't it? Just to casually bring this back home. But we're literally not even halfway done, and this man has already done the most. Like, he's out of there. So... Sorry, guys, if you hear the little kid in the background, I can't help that. (laughs) But let's move on to the sixth victim. He was literally only there for a week at his new apartment. When he would lure Raymond Smith to his apartment, saying he would pay him $50 to come to his place and have sex with him. When they got to his apartment, he would add seven sleeping pills to Raymond's drink and then strangle him with his hands. He would then wait till the next morning to go out and buy a Polaroid, which we kind of know where this is going. He would take Raymond's body and put it in different positions and take pictures. He then put Raymond's legs, arms, and pelvis in a kettle with a chemical and would boil them to clean off the bones. He would then dissolve the rest of the body other than the head, which he would later clean and then put it next to Anthony's head. Also, side note, he would end up spray painting Raymond's skull, which is super weird to me. Like, he's just spray painting it for what? 
Is he like labeling it or what is he doing? Why is he spray painting it? I don't get it. Hmm. But this was not enough for him because then just about a week later, he would take his seventh victim. Well, at least he thought it was going to be his seventh victim. So this one's okay. This one's kind of funny. It's like funny, but not funny. And karma got him on this one. So he would bring a guy back. It didn't say a name. He would bring a guy back. And when he made the drink and put the drugs inside of the drink, Jeffrey would end up drinking the one with the drugs. So the next, so of course he knocked out and the next morning he woke up and the guy had stolen clothes, money, and jewelry. So I'm like, that's what you kind of get. Like, I know that's not enough for what has happened, but that's what he gets for trying to kill somebody. But of course he's not going to report it because he's a serial killer. So he pretty much lucks out, which obviously, like I said, does not make up for what he did, but Honestly, this wouldn't stop him, and we all know that. But in June of 1990, Jeffrey would find his new victim, which would be number seven. This was a person he had previously met. His name was Edward Smith. He would drug and strangle him, but this one was a little different because instead he would put Edward's remains in the freezer, thinking it would be better for the bones, which he would find out wouldn't work. So he tried to put the bones in the freezers to preserve them a little longer, I guess. But he also tried to save the skull by putting it into the oven and drying it out, which would eventually cause the skull to shatter in the oven. And to Jeffrey, this seemed like a pointless kill because he didn't keep any trophies. So he was upset about killing this one because, oh, I didn't get anything out of it. Well, I don't, I, I don't understand. But... Victim number eight would succumb to his death less than three months later. Jeffrey would meet Ernest Miller outside of a bookstore. He would offer him $50 to come back to his place. When they got there, Jeffrey asked if he could listen to his heart and stomach, which I've heard this one before. Um, then Jeffrey tried to perform oral sex on Ernest, but while trying to do so, Ernest let him know, like, Hey, I came here just for you to listen to my heart and stomach. Like, this is going to cost a little more. So you have to pay me more if you're going to want to do that. And at some point, Jeffrey would end up drugging Ernest. But the problem was Jeffrey only had two more sleeping pills left. So instead of strangling him, Jeffrey would take the same knife he used for cutting up bodies and would slash Ernest's throat. And within, within minutes, he would be dead and from bleeding out. So he then would pose his naked body and take pictures of Ernest. Jeffrey would then take his body to the bath and decapitate his, he his head from his body. And as Jeffrey was cutting up the rest of the body, this is super weird. He would kiss the head and talk to him like he's still alive. So like having conversations with him, which is super weird. I'm, I feel like though, like he probably did this with multiple of the bodies. I don't think it was just one. But he would then proceed to take the layers of skin off the biceps and legs and also took the heart and put them in the freezer. And then he would save it for later so he could eat it. And this is where the Milwaukee cannibal came from was because he started to eat his victims. But he then put the clean bones in the freezer and would paint them with an enamel and keep them as trophies. So he was starting to, maybe to him, they look like art pieces, I guess. I don't know. But three weeks after killing Ernest, Jeffrey would find victim number nine. On September 24th, Jeffrey met David Thomas. He would offer him drinks and money to come back to his house. Once he drugged him, he was no longer attracted to him. So he would kill him and would not keep anything but the pictures of his dead body. So like before with, with um, I think it was Edward, he was upset because he didn't have trophies, but with David, he didn't care that he didn't have trophies, which is super odd to me. But he stopped for a while until February 1991 when he found number 10. This is whenever he noticed Curtis Strotter at a bus stop. He once again offered money for nude pictures. He would kill him the same way, 
but he added handcuffs and used a leather strap to strangle him. So he was going more towards sexual things, I guess. But Jeffrey would keep Curtis's skulls, hand, his skull, hands, and genitals. He also photographed each step of cutting up Curtis's body. Then April 7th, he would find his 11th victim, Errol Lindsay. Or Errol. Errol? I don't know. Um, this is one of the cringiest killings because after Jeffrey had drugged him, he didn't kill him. Okay, but for real, this one is like super, super trigger warning. If you're not into gory stuff, skip ahead. Because he would instead drill a hole into his skull and pour acid into his head. Mm. Mind you, he's not dead. So, as he's pouring this acid into his skull, Errol wakes up. So, he woke up and he started saying, like, oh, my head is hurting. Why is my head hurting? Like, I don't feel good. And I'm like, what? I could not imagine, like, waking up and having acid, like, a hole in my head and having acid poured into it. No, it's literally, like, dissolving your brain. It's... Honestly, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was saying, isn't it? Like, if you put acid inside your skull, like, it's going to dissolve your brain, isn't it? Yeah, because it's the same acid he would use to clean the bones off after he would kill them. Oh, no. Yeah, I've heard about that. I mean, I've I've seen the documentaries on Jeffrey, so, but it's just, like, like mind-blowing every time I hear about it again. I know. I'm over here. I was sitting at Starbucks writing this, and... I'm, like, writing this, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm freaking out, but nobody knows what I'm writing about. <laughs> oh, gosh. This one was, this was a fun thing to learn about. But Jeffrey then proceeded to drug him again and then strangled him. I mean, it's almost like he saw them as experiments, like I said before, because he's, he's graphing or photographing all the steps and he's, now drilling into the skull to see what happens and he's freezing them and and cooking them and like it's almost like he's just treating them like they're animals in another experiment and he's tracking it it's super odd well but didn't you say was, that his sorry. his dad was a like didn't you say that, that was a chemist yes maybe with, he's like trying to be like his father but no, yes but... i that's what i was thinking too that's I feel like it probably is, but I don't know. I can't remember if like his dad would do like experiments at home or whatever. Cause I know that's kind of in the, in the movie, but you can't base things off the movie clearly, but I don't know. It's super odd. And I get people are curious, but like you can go to school for that, my dude, and you can do it legally and not kill anybody. You can do it on people who are already dead from dying from other things. So it was almost like experiments, but also he personally wanted to do this. So that's why I said it would be really interesting to learn more about his brain and how it worked. But he would end up keeping his skull, and he also tried to keep his skin. But he ended up having to get rid of it because it was too brittle. So I don't know what he was planning on doing with that. But hopefully it wasn't making a carpet out of it because that would be a little awkward. But he would make notes and take pictures and he tried different things to preserve different body parts. And he was just treating these poor victims terribly for his own experiments. And after getting, like he would do this after he got what he needed from them. So I don't know. But at this point, he has killed six people in his apartment. Six, just in his apartment. So you already know people were complaining about smell and occasional loud noises. People would call and complain and no one did anything until after the fact. And when they would check because people kept calling, Jeffrey would say, oh, my freezer went out and my meat spoiled. Or, oh, a few fish in my fish tank died and I'll get it. I'll take care of it. Like, it's no biggie. Like, I'm pretty sure that the two of those is totally different than having six dead bodies dismembered in your home. But that's just me, I guess. Because, like, some of the people would say that they heard chainsaws and stuff. So I'm just like, um, I'm pretty sure that's a little different. And I 
didn't see anything where they said that they had did a walkthrough. Sorry, did a walkthrough or anything. So, I don't know. But from them not caring, this allowed him to continue. So on May 26, 1991, Jeffrey found Coneric Synthesophone, num- victim number 13. The last name does sound familiar because this is the younger brother of the child that he was charged for sexually assaulting years prior. Did he know that? Like, I, I didn't see anywhere that he did know that or that he didn't, but that's super odd. And I don't even know if he knew the names of these victims when he was killing them either. Yeah, but like, how would the, if your brother went through a whole like thing with charging Jeffrey, like, how could you not know what this dude looked like? Like, how could you not have seen this guy before? Well, he's, this, Koneric is only 13 years old when this happens. So I'm sure when his brother was going through this, he was a lot younger. Oh. So he probably wasn't paying attention. He's either, yeah. wait, he's either 13 or 14. I can't remember. I get, I get them two mixed up. But one was 13 when it happened and one was 14 when it happened. So if they're a couple years apart, then I'm imagining Koneric was a little younger. So he probably just wasn't paying attention. Yeah, because it was like 10 years apart, I think, wasn't it? So that would have made one of them like one or yeah. two years old. Yeah, so they they probably had no idea. That's but great. Jeffrey would offer to take pictures of him nude and give him money. But Kinneric was a little suspicious at first. But then Jeffrey kept kept saying these things and he would end up going. And... Also, I am going to say that this one is super rough. I'm just giving trigger warnings on the rougher ones um, from what happens to him. So if you're not comfortable with children being harmed, um, please skip forward. But they would take a few pictures when they got back to the house and Jeffrey would drug him. And Jeffrey then would perform oral sex on him and then proceed to drill a hole into Canaric's skull and put acid into his frontal lobe. Before he drugged him and took him to the took him to the room. Sorry, before he drugged him, he took him to the room where the body of Tony Hughes lay, and that was victim number twelve. So he had just murdered Tony three days before he took Canaric. And when Koneric fell asleep, Jeffrey would end up leaving and would go to a bar and had a few had a few beers. Well, then early on May 27th, the very next day, Jeffrey would come home and found three women in his apartment all talking to Koneric. And I believe Koneric was like squatted on the floor against the wall and these three women were standing over him and he was like crying or whatever and talking to them. And... They had told Jeffrey that they called the police, and when the police would arrive, Jeffrey told them that Koneric was his 19-year-old boyfriend. And I'm confused on how they thought a 13, 14-year-old was 19, but this is like a huge, huge, huge mess up on the police's part. Um, But the cops would end up, oh, he said, sorry. He had said this was his 19-year-old boyfriend and that he had too much to drink. So he was super drunk and talking crazy. So the cops let him go. And the ladies tried to keep telling the cops, like, something's wrong. Like, he's bleeding, he's bleeding from his rectum. Like, he's got this hole in his head or whatever. And they would just be like, there's nothing wrong. You need to leave it alone. Like, stop talking. Like, we're done here. And instead of, instead, they walked Koneric back to the apartment and Jeffrey said he could prove that, like, he's like, oh, I could prove we're partners. And he would end up showing the cops the nude pictures that Koneric had posed for before everything happened. So they would just file this as domestic abuse and then went on with their work day. Well, after the police left, Jeffrey injected another round of acid into Koneric's brain and it would end up killing him. So Jeffrey would take off from work the next day to dismember Koneric's and Tony's body and would keep both of the skulls. So 
to me, that's a huge, huge like misstep because how are you like, how are you just going to ignore the smell? You know what I mean? It just, Dude, it that, doesn't make any sense. No, that literally like raises a temperature in my body. Like it makes my blood boil because how could you like, like how could you just deny the fact that you could literally check and see if there was blood coming from his rectum that you could see that he was so in distraught that you could see a freaking hole drilled in his head with these two witnesses that have been here for God knows how long while Jeffrey was out drinking. You could smell, you could literally say, I have prob like probable cause to search your, oh, I guess you can't search without search warrant, but it's like, come on, are you going to be that naive and uh, like, I don't understand. It literally pisses me off yeah and it's literally i think it was like three of them three cops i don't think it was just one it was like two or three of them and like how do you just really not care that much about people like why are you even a share a cop if you're not gonna do your job and i don't know what happened to them after this because they have the names and everything i just didn't put the names because if you're that interested you can find them um but I, I just don't understand. This one was super rough for me to to see and to realize, like, how bad it was back then. And how bad the, I mean, they still are, but I don't know. But let's go ahead and move on. Um, Jeffrey would come upon victim number 14, Matt Turner. Jeffrey would ask Matt to come back to his apartment for a photo shoot. He would drug and strangle Matt and would keep Matt's head and organs in this freezer. Then, just five days later, Jeffrey found victim 15. Jeffrey was at a bar, and this is where he met Jeremiah Weinberger, or Weinberger. Um, and he told him that he would spend the weekend with Jeremiah, and this is when Jeffrey would drug Jeremiah and proceed to put boiling water in his brain after drilling a hole into his head. So I don't I don't know what he was doing, but this put Jeremiah into a coma and he would die two days later. Then soon he would find victim number 16, Oliver Lacey. He lured him to the apartment. They proceeded to have sex and Jeffrey would drug Oliver, but he didn't want to kill him yet. And when he tried to do like chloroform over his face, it didn't work and he would end up having like it didn't knock him out or anything so jeffrey took off of work and he would then strangle oliver then he would have sex with his corpse and then dismember his body and freeze the the head and the heart on july 19th he was fired and would take it out on another victim which would be i believe his last victim that he actually killed so joseph bradshaw would be the last one he brought back he was brought back to jeffrey's apartment and jeffrey would strangle joseph and would leave him in the bed under blanket then on july 21st this was two days later three days later however you want to count it um he would go back and look at the body and would find it covered in maggots he would still dismember the body take the head clean it and put it in the freezer. Like, I don't, I just don't understand where he thought it was normal that there was maggots, but he still kept the head. Like, I don't understand, but this would be the last victim he would kill before getting caught. I'm not going to go into the investigation and everything because I felt I needed to focus on the brutality and the humiliation of these victims that they, and what they went through through their last moments on earth. And I want to kind of just talk about how he got caught. And if you're interested in the investigation, feel free to go back and look through. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about how Jeffrey was caught. So it was July 22nd, 1991. Jeffrey was driving around and stopped by a group of three men. He offered $100 to pose nude for him. And whenever he offered this, this is when Tracy Edward agreed and jumped into the truck, the truck with Jeffrey. When they arrived to Jeffrey's place, Tracy noticed an off smell and there was acid all over the floor, like containers of it all over the place. 
And Jeffrey proceeded to tell Tracy to turn around and look at his fish. And this is whenever he would try to cuff Tracy's hands. Well, when he tried to put on the second cuff, it didn't work right. So Tracy just had one handcuff on. And when Tracy asked what was going on, Jeffrey told him, oh, go ahead and go into the room. We're going to go ahead and start taking your pictures. Tracy figured like, okay, I don't know what's happening. I need to figure out what's happening. So he was trying to talk to Jeffrey and he was telling him, oh, hey, we're friends. Like, we'll just hang out. Don't worry about it. Like, it's no big deal. And he knew, like, he knew he had to figure out a way to get out. So after attempting a few times to, like, get him to let him go out of the room, he, um, Jeffrey started to give in. So Tracy told Jeffrey that he needed to use the restroom. And after Jeffrey didn't listen, he tried to ask him, oh, hey, can we go into the living room? Like, let's go drink a beer. Let's go hang out. It's too hot in this room. Like, I don't want to be in here anymore. So he let him leave. They both are. He let him go into the living room. They both hung out in the living room. He still has the one handcuffed on. So this whenever this is whenever he would try to ask to go to the restroom for the second time. And when Tracy would get up to walk to the restroom, he would punch Jeffrey in the face and it would knock him on the floor and Tracy ran. He found the first cops and told them what had happened and they, they noticed that he had the cuffs on his hands. Um, and then the cops and Tracy would go back to the apartment and this is what started everything that led to the investigation. Jeffrey would end up confessing to everything. He would plead guilty to 15 counts of murder and two of them he wasn't charged for for different reasons. Like one of them was, um, I can't even remember what, what the reasons were, but Jeffrey was given life in prison for all of them, but he wouldn't be alive much longer because on November 28th, 1994, Jeffrey had been stabbed and beaten in the head along with another inmate who both died on the same day. They were both killed by another prisoner who was there for murder in like 1990 or something like that. He was thought to be a schizophrenic. And he told the guards, like, when he called them to tell him, like, what he did, he was like, quote, God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead, end quote. There is so, like, whenever I first read this, before I continue, I thought that Jeffrey was killed because people knew what had happened to him. I didn't know it was just some random inmate just, like, kind of went, a little crazy there for a second, you know, and killed, he had like beat their head against the walls. They were in the restroom. And so I just thought this was, this was actually something that I had learned from this case and I didn't know, but there's so much information on this case and there was no way to cover all of it. But with that being said, how was that barn? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a, a lot of information. You covered a lot of different victims, and um, I, I think it's really sad how he progressed as quickly as he did, and he knew as much as he did, and that those cops just neglected the fact that that boy was, like, really struggling inside or outside of the apartment. And so it's like... I feel like there was just a lot of failures, and even when the first victim was able to escape, and, like, his charge for sexually assaulting that young boy, and, you know, abuse like that, it's just, like, they failed there, too, you know? It was just mm -hmm. multiple failures and failures after failures in, forms, in, in the form of, like, the police's part. And then as far as, like, how he grew up, I don't know. I mean, neglect is a form of abuse, even though he wasn't being abused, like physically or mentally. Mm -hmm. He could have been neglected in the fact that he wasn't getting that nurture part, you know? Yeah. And it seems like he's just trying to, in a way, like copy his father and took that being left alone for most of his life, like in an evil way. But he could have something like schizophrenia or, or, I forget what you said that they suggested that he had the first time around. 
Yeah, I agree. And I feel like it's a lot of factors, but I really feel like he was just something was mentally wrong with him and he wasn't getting the help that he needed. And it just it's honestly so sad that it had to be almost like 19 lives taken for this for him to finally get caught. And it's I feel like one of the factors was because it was part of, he was mostly attacking gay community and I feel like they were put on the back burner because cops were just like oh who cares about them kind of attitude and I think that's just super sad and it, and you know it's not all the cops fault or whatever because I think there was investigations happening on all these people who started showing up missing but there was just a few failures in there that could have helped prevent a lot of these other cases right but, but yeah I so enjoyed it I mean, Thanks. I mean, I'm not was... saying enjoy talking about people who are getting killed, but when you do cover podcasts like this, you it's almost like we're not fascinated and happy to talk about it, but we want to know the why behind people like this. Like, why is your brain working the way it is? But yes. I think you did a great job covering as many people as you did in the short amount of time. Thank you. This was a really rough one for me to research. Like I said, I was sitting at Starbucks for like four hours yesterday doing this. And I was like, oof, when I got home, I was like, I need to watch something or do something because this one was a little rough. But like like you said, we, we do this because we're interested in the why. And we like to keep the victims' names alive. And we like to inform you guys about what evil is out there and what evil is still out there currently. There's people still probably just as bad as him out there. But... Thank you all for joining us for today's horrific episode. This is one that you guys picked. We will be posting our next one on the 1st of September. And I think maybe we'll put a little lighter options on that one just to kind of keep it a little, a little light for the next voted episode. But we hope you all enjoyed listening to today's episode. And please go listen to some lighthearted music after this and stay out of dark places and watch your back because you never know who's lurking and never go back to people's houses to take pictures. Bye. Bye.